0: Hello, my name's Justin DeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we're going to be talking about Indian cinema. And if you are an expert on Indian cinema... Turn the podcast off now.
1: Yeah, this is going to be really (laughs) embarrassing. Yeah, this is not for you. Two white guys uh, will be saying things like, have you ever heard of this movie called Cholet? (laughs) Because while I have an interest
0: in the country's output, I'm by no means an expert. We're like scratching at the surface and that's pretty much it. But we're enthusiasts. Yes, exactly. We
1: we like it. We want to like it.
0: Now has... Indian cinema in your life had a very big place, Will? Because you've seen a lot more
1: than I have. I probably see anywhere between like three and six new Bollywood movies a year. And you mentioned before that it was actually your friends that would take it when you were younger to the cinema? I used to go with a, uh, with high school friends uh, when I was in high school up to the Albion Cinema in Etobicoke just every every now and then to see movies. There was one in particular called Doom 2. <laughs> which is... W- commonly known as a Fast and the Furious rip-off
0: series. Yeah,
1: kind of. It's it's a franchise of, like, cops and robbers movies, and Doom 2, like, seeing it just absolutely blew me away. I had no context for, for a movie like this, because it was like a Hollywood blockbuster, but with no irony and with all the like ridiculous stuff like turned up to 11 like it had three big bollywood stars in it hirithik roshan abhishek bakchan and ashwarya rai and like they gave like turbocharged star performances (laughs) and it had so much like ridiculous crazy shit in it like there's a scene where here i think roshan plays a master of disguise like dana carvey um and, <laughs> uh, and will slum favorite and he's like disguised as an old janitor and abhishek bakchan as the cop pauses him and says hey excuse me what, what's where's your identification number and uh roshan has acid in his shoes and he's above a, above a manhole okay so the acid's coming out of his shoes and he hands over his card and it has the bad guy's logo on it a- abhishek looks at him is like wait a minute guy falls down the sewer and then boom huge explosion water shoots him back out and he's no longer in his old man disguise he's in a rollerblade suit. Like that's the kind of crazy shit you see in Doom 2.
0: So we should talk about what people think of when they hear the word Bollywood.
1: Now That's not a very woke term, Justin. Now looking
0: through some of the books that I could find on the subject Indian cinema does not like to be called Bollywood because Bollywood is kind of derivative of Hollywood and does not give them their own identity. And the term itself comes from the name of the city, Bombay, yeah. which doesn't even exist anymore because now it's Mumbai.
1: I, I think Bollywood is often used as a term of affection. It's kind of like black exploitation, where I think so, yeah. it started as a thing. But the people thing, that but... are
0: making it are like, no, we're actually making movies that matter. They're not just rip-offs. Right. Even though that Indian cinema is known as rip-off capital of the world, <laughs> but we'll get back to that in a little while. Now, while you were talking about that description of Doom 2, you listed a bunch of things that I think of when I think of Indian cinema, which is, it's crazy. Uh-huh. There's musical numbers and it's three hours long because Doom 2 is three hours long, yeah. isn't it?
1: Whenever I go see an Indian movie, I kind of get myself into the a similar headspace of when I go to the opera. I just think I have to like acquire a new level of patience for it. And it's not going to be the same type of entertainment. It's going to be a different kind of film language.
0: That's something that always tripped me up when I was trying to watch Indian cinema, which, which was I just want to experience this action film and it's three hours long mm. and it's not going to give me
1: more action necessarily. They're not drum tight stories. <laughs> no, they're not. They all have an intermission.
0: Yep, that's right. So you can go and talk with uh, the audience about what you just
1: watched. And like you got to remember that uh, for the audiences, this is supposed to be an evening's entertainment. You bring your whole family to it. It's a big deal. And the movie itself is kind of like a buffet. You got your romance, your action, your music, yeah, tragedy, it's often comedy. Uh, described as masala films, mm-hmm.
0: which are the ones that people usually think when you hear Bollywood, which is like everything is in there. You you got your romance. You got your action. You got your musical numbers. You got your drama, and you're gonna get your melodrama in Indian cinema. Heavy,
1: heavy drama. Really, like base slapstick comedy. Just mm-hmm. like the goofiest, like, like,
0: and it can come right after like a
1: suicide. Oh, you saw. So you saw Three Idiots. Yeah, three... that's one where it, uh, there's a musical number, and then it. Abruptly ends with somebody hanging themselves. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. And Three Idiots. Great film. Which was at the time of its release the biggest box office earner ever.
1: I remember I went to see that movie with my roommate at the time who had never seen a Bollywood movie, and as we were coming out, like we were both just panting with exhaustion from it. And, and <laughs> really? my and I my, love Three Idiots. I love I love it too. But my roommate said, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that had that much stuff in it. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what's important about Bollywood cinema. They just want to entertain you. Yeah. And when you talk about Indian cinema as well. Like, I was looking at statistics and there's supposedly about a thousand films released per year in India, which seems crazy to me. That's
1: got to include direct video stuff, right? And
0: it's also from the fact that uh, India is a country that makes films in every one of its languages. Mm. So you got your Hindi cinema, you got your Telugu cinema, you got your Tamil cinema, and those films are often remade into the other
1: language, completely with new directors, new cast, everything. That's really complicated. I can only I can only master probably <laughs> Hindi cinema at this point. I can't do any more.
0: So we watched a few movies for this podcast. The one I was the most excited for was Dawn, which is a 70s film which stars Amitabh Bakchan. And could you tell us a little bit about who that is?
1: Amitabh Bakchan is... Probably the most famous Indian movie star there's ever been. Uh, probably best known on these shores as being the movie star that the little boy tries to get the autograph from at the beginning of Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And also uh, as Meyer Wolfsheim in Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby. His only U.S. role ever. But I don't know how to describe his stature in well, he... It's like he's like Robert Redford meets Abraham Lincoln in <laughs> terms of
0: how he's... And he came out of a wave of cinema in the 70s called The Angry Young Man wave, mm. where every movie he would play a character named Vijay <laughs> and he would be the guy that just bucks the system, usually with a bunch of sloppy martial arts combat,
1: <laughs> and at the end of the day he would usually sacrifice his own life for a greater good. Two of the real foundational texts for uh, Amitabh Bachchan are, of course, Sholay, the Gone with the Wind of Indian cinema.
0: That's also not forgetting Mother India, which is the other Gone with the Wind of Indian cinema. <laughs> sure, sure,
1: I guess there are a few. But Sholay uh, is the movie that If someone
0: goes like, what do you, Indian cinema? They're going to say, watch Xolay. Yeah,
1: it's got everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's super fun. And it's kind of like, has a bit of a spaghetti Western vibe that I like. (laughs) Yep. Um, But Don, uh, he plays a gangster called Don. Uh, I love how he's introduced. We see the police uh, sitting around a table being like, but there's another gangster, the most feared gangster in the city. He's called Don. And then it cuts to... Bakchan in a chair that swirls around and he shoots a guy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's right. And then the reveal is like, why'd you shoot him? I didn't like his shoes because he was a spy and there's a message
1: <laughs> in his shoes so
0: that's da- the goal so
1: dawn is full of awesome moments like that like, oh
0: man my favorite moment has to be i know when the one you're gonna say Amitabh Bakchad discovers that one of his goons is gonna leave the organization so he goes to confront him and the guy panics and runs away and he hails a taxi which pulls up <laughs> and i'm like oh man are they gonna do it guy gets in the taxi guess who's driving
1: dawn <laughs> My other favorite moment is uh, when the police have him surrounded and he's holding a briefcase full of money and he says, really, you're going to arrest me with all this money? And then he throws the briefcase and it blows up and then <laughs> emerging from the puff of smoke is a car being driven by Dawn, g- g- getting away. So... The first 30 minutes of the movie really sets you up for being like, okay, this is awesome. Amitabh Bachchan is Don. We're going to follow his adventures, this really cool guy. But then he dies. Yeah, so
0: after about 40 minutes, Amitabh Bachchan
1: <laughs> kicks the bucket. And you're like, what is going on? So he's buried at a funeral. But uh, the chief of police says, we got to keep this hush-hush. The funeral will be attended by, what, 10 people? Yeah. <laughs> but forget it. We're going to keep it hush-hush. Uh, and we're going to find Don's uh, doppelganger. Ganger also played by uh, Amitabh Bachchan. Indian
0: cinema loves doubles. Yeah. They love um, good brother versus bad brother lost and found narratives when like a, a family member is lost and refound at the end.
1: So it's a bit of a, a great dictator meets infernal affairs situation where uh...
0: <laughs> and there's also a woman that wants revenge on Don, <laughs> yeah. but doesn't know that
1: Don has passed away. So anyway, he poses as Don uh, to get more information from the mob. Meanwhile, he was raising two children as like a foster parent, uh, and and they were the children of this this other guy who was put in prison because he stole money to pay for his wife's operation. Oh, uh, you
0: forgot the most important uh, piece of information about that guy. He is a high wire walker. Yes, <laughs> and yes. that slays into later in the movie.
1: If you introduce, as Chekhov said, if you introduce a high wire act in the first act, it will pay off in the third. And this movie
0: changes plots about every hour, and yeah. it's like a three hour movie because Amitabh Bachchan is revealed as an imposter fairly quickly yeah
1: <laughs> and then it but, leads to more kung fu fights but like the, the police the chief of police who hired him uh, is killed and then so nobody can prove that he's not the real don <laughs> real infernal even, affairs. even though apparently there were 10 people at don's funeral <laughs> like can't you find one of them <laughs>
0: listen like a lot of 70s films it's not about it's tight construction
1: it's about anything goes lots of zooms lots of zooms <laughs> And have you noticed that uh, Indian movies of this period are always shot at just the butt-ugliest locations? Yes. Like, we saw one a few months ago, Disco Dancer, which is, like, one of the real kitsch classics of Indian cinema, which is shot at, like, the shittiest banquet halls. (laughs) Like, they look like legions. (laughs) They do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like the idea that wealth is bad, Mm -hmm. which for a long time in Indian cinema was a moral decision. Like, if you are wealthy you are probably morally corrupt. Yeah, which Uh, I believe. But I should talk about a little bit of the history because while Dawn is a perfect example of like Indian cinema craziness, they actually started early on making more social realist rebellion pictures. And that's mostly because India for a long time was under British rule. Mm. So the films that they would make, uh, the black and white ones, actually had quite a high content of sex and violence. And it was only later on, after Britain left, that they decided to focus more on Indian values. The misnomer in Indian cinema that people can't kiss, which is not something you see on screen
1: very often. It was kind of an unwritten rule. Yeah, it was an unwritten
0: rule. Until
1: about 10 years ago, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, like Three Idiots, there's a big kiss in it, Mm -hmm. so it's not that big a deal.
1: I think Doom 2 may have been the first movie to have a kiss in it, Like
0: a big blockbuster? Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and after
0: you know, the British left, India kind of re-evaluated what was important in their cinema and that's when color came into play, sound, and you got all the musical epics and stuff like that. I
1: have a question. Where does Satyajit Rai fit into this? Well, he's kind of an
0: outliner, right? Uh He's the prestigious example of who directors wanted to be. But at the same time, they had audiences that they had to please with things that were blockbusters. Mm -hmm. Unlike stuff like Hong Kong cinema, which you assume is quick and dirty, Indian cinema can take two to three years to make a movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's a huge undertaking. And Indian cinema It's also about who their audience is. When you talk about American cinema and you talk about a blockbuster, you assume it's for everyone. Well, Indian filmmakers, in the research I did, directors have talked about how focused they were, that they need to hit all the markets, which is... The urban city market, which is usually considered the intellectual one. The towns and then the rural area who have completely different morals from the city.
1: Well, I have to tell you, when I see Indian movies, I kind of get the sense that it's and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but I get the senses like it is for the working classes <laughs> um, because you take a movie like Krish 3, which is a superhero movie from a few years ago. It's a movie that came out around the time that like The Dark Knight Rises came out. I think it came out shortly after the Lone Ranger and, you know, in the Lone Ranger, Tonto can't just be Tonto. He has to somehow address the reality of like the genocide of the indigenous people because it's not 1950 anymore Mm. in a, in a Batman movie these days, but they have to grapple with Batman as a vigilante or something. (laughs) But Krish is just Krish. He's <laughs> just a superhero. There is no other uh, destruction to him. Yeah. yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> he could just do whatever he wants without any kind of consequence.
1: And again, there's no irony to any of these films. Like, like all the stuff is supposed to be awesome. All, all of the kind of Indian blockbusters are so surface level and what surprises me most is i really enjoy these movies when i see them but i'm always amazed like how quickly they evaporate from my memory after when, when there's so much stuff it's yeah. difficult to hang on to right i mean i the movies just don't get a lot of foot traffic in my mind but also there's there's not a lot to grapple with you you enjoy the experience of seeing it and then when it's over it's like cotton candy you know
0: how do you feel about musical numbers because i, love, I them. love them yeah, yeah that if if america decided all of a sudden tomorrow they went we're going to put musical numbers in all our blockbusters i'd be like sweet cuz the role of music in indian cinema is to sell tickets Mm -hmm. and to advertise. They consider the musical number itself as an advertising tool, which is almost as important as the movie itself at times. Like as
1: an advertising tool for the soundtrack
0: album? Exactly. Like that's to make money, right? Because the thing about movies is how do you advertise them? Trailers and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Or you can have a prepackaged song that people can just enjoy just the song,
1: they don't even have to see the movie. They may just buy the soundtrack as well. And they are truly music videos. Like they could be released, Mm -hmm. you know, to TV or whatever. I
0: mean, that's a change that's happened over time, right? Mm -hmm. That when we watch Dawn, all the musical numbers are diegetic. They happen within Mm -hmm. the context of the film. While when you see something like Doom 2, characters will just stop. For six minutes, that's usually how long a Bollywood musical number lasts, and just dance and sing, and it's a bunch of cutaways. Sometimes they're on sets that are giant gears for no
1: reason. (laughs) Also, the Indian stars don't do their own singing. No, they
0: don't. Even though I read an article that, for the last 20 years, Amitabh bakchan has been doing his own singing. Really? Yeah, I I have no way to prove that. So It's easier that way. Kind of like how Hong Kong, all the classic Jackie Chan films we've seen... That's not his voice coming out of his mouth. Which is incredible. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and like Hong Kong, India is, for a long time, was a place where they didn't do sync sound. Everything was dubbed. Mm. By the actors? Uh, yes, by the actors. Amitabh Bachchast talked about how he never liked dubbing because you have to recreate a performance that he'd rather just do
1: sync sound on set, which was out of the norm. But the lack of irony in Indian cinema, I think, also extends to the way they uh, treat their movie stars. I mean, the movie stars are like real royalty over there. Here... You know, we seem to really enjoy like celebrity gossip and sort of the TMZ mm-hmm. culture and what, you know, big celebrity downfalls like Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp. Uh, but over there, like they're, like they're gods. Yeah, they're gods. And, you know, I was reading an article about how if you ask
0: somebody who your favorite actor is, they'll be like, uh, oh, you know, this person. If you ask somebody who your favorite actor is, they'll go, oh, my favorite hero is Amitabh Bakshan. Yeah. Like, he's not even just an actor for them. He is a personality that happens to be on screen sometimes. And he's a
1: role model. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Like when he hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in India, that was crazy.
1: Yeah, so we should just address that. Amitabh Bakchan hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Okay, that'd be like, imagine if Tom Hanks hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire.
0: Or or like Tom Hanks times 10, I guess. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Not only that, but after he stopped doing it, he was replaced by Shah Rukh Khan, the other big movie star in India. Yeah, Shah
0: Rukh Khan is probably, as far as male stars go, right under... Amitabh Bachchan. And, and he, of his generation,
1: he's easily the biggest. Yeah, he
0: is the Tom Cruise of India. Mm. Started in around the 90s with a big hit that I don't recall the title of. Well,
1: I saw it uh, <laughs> for the, for this week. The title is, and I wrote it down because I'm going to mangle it. It's called Dilwale Dulhania Le Jayanga.
0: This film famously ran for like 15 years. It's still running in one theater
1: in Mumbai, right? That's how popular it was.
0: And when you saw it, Will, you probably just wanted to watch it right over again, right? Oh,
1: yeah. 189 (laughs) minutes. Uh, I felt every single one of them. So this movie is uh, kind of a romantic comedy. I mean, it's the absolute definition of a movie that's not for me, but... Uh, it's kind of interesting just as a little bit of insight into Indian culture. It begins in London and it has, it's a story of boy meets girl. Shah Rukh Khan is a kind of a Westernized Indian boy and uh, an actress named Kajol plays uh, an Indian girl. Who's part of a very like traditional conservative Indian family where the father is really proud. Well, we've kept in, Indian values mm-hmm. here in the heart of London. So the, the, The boy and the girl meet when they're uh, traveling through Europe, kind of on a post-graduation tour, and they fall in love, but the girl is then going to go back to India for an arranged marriage. And the whole thing becomes about this kind of... The movie really tries to play it both ways, uh, because it ultimately comes to the conclusion that uh, Shah Rukh Khan has to get the father's permission to marry her, because parents know best, and and parents have our best interests at heart, but... Parents should recognize that the girl should marry who she loves. So it really tries to have it both ways. It's like, it's pretty conservative, ultimately.
0: Yeah, it's having your cake and eating it too. They're not going to break tradition in a way
1: that would shock an audience. But, you know, they can pay lip service to it. Yeah, it's a, it was a movie for everyone, no matter what you thought. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. And there's also a big deal made about like her honor. Um, So she comes from a very traditional family and there's one scene where like the two of them wake up in a hotel room and he plays a prank that they've had sex the night before. And he shows her all these kiss marks on his stomach and she's horrified. And he realizes The shock he's put her through and then he reveals to her it was actually a joke and they have a big hug and this is supposed to be a big dramatic moment. You know, I know how important your honor is to you. Like this is a scene that like is odd for Westerners like us to watch. Mm -hmm. So if I found the movie interesting at all, it was for two things. One was just to see Shah Rukh Khan in his breakout performance. He's kind of a young Tom Cruise in this like risky business era. And also just as an insight into Indian culture. We also watched Um Shanti um. When I think of Indian cinema, that movie always comes up.
0: It mm-hmm. came out in 2007 and it was the blockbuster to end all blockbusters mm-hmm. starring Shah Rukh Khan, uh, Debika Padukone. I'm sorry if I mangled mm-hmm. that name. And it was about the actual bollywood film industry like making movies back in the 60s and
1: 70s yeah starts with a big parody of disco dancer what, what's the plot yeah Shah Rukh Khan plays a lowly um junior
0: actor or junior artist mm-hmm. who just wants to be a hero on the big screen he can't quite get it but he starts a little romance with the biggest star on the lot but uh-oh it's a Indian cinema tradition that right when things are getting good, everything goes to hell. Mm. And I mean goes to hell. You get like an hour of dancing and singing and references that just swoosh right above my
1: head. So there's an amazing like uh, centerpiece of the movie that's, it's the title song. All hot girls, put your hands up and say... Om Shanti Om and as this song is going like one big Indian star after another like walks out and does a little dance with Shah
0: <laughs> It might as well have just been like random people just dancing well, on screen.
1: I felt so kind of excluded from it because <laughs> these people come in and they give this they have this look on their face that's like that's right it's me the big star and I I don't know.
0: <laughs> so uh, Shah Rukh Khan and the love of his life get trapped in a mansion on fire and we see her burning to death <laughs> and Shah- Shah Khan gets murdered. Yeah. And you may be going, wait, I still got like an hour and a half to this movie. What's going on? Well, Shah Rukh Khan is reincarnated as a superstar, the son of another actor. Mm-hmm. As we know in real life, if you're the son of a famous Indian
1: star, you too can be the of a famous Indian star. Just like a Mr. Abhishek Bakchan, <laughs> son of Amitabh. And he gets his memory back.
0: Because <laughs> that's how reincarnation works, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: and they decide to pull a con job on the person that murdered the love of his life, with, with a dash of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I saw this movie at the Albi, and it was—I was the only person there, uh, deep into its run, Wednesday night at nine o'clock. And I think they were really pissed at me that I didn't just go home, but I traveled <laughs> all the way from downtown to see it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow.
0: And so were you like, yeah, all the musical numbers. Well, they—they like
1: d- they didn't tell me to go home, but but like I could sense they weren't that happy to see me there. And so there I was sitting in the middle of this cavernous theater with while this like giant spectacle of a movie <laughs> was on screen. And the owner was five rows behind
0: me <laughs> really just staring at So you. I kind
1: of felt like, Oh geez.
0: And uh, I really enjoy this movie. It was directed by Farah Khan, one of the uh, few female directors in India. She came up as a choreographer. Baz Luhrmann was a big fan of hers. I believe he used her in Moulin Rouge for some numbers and This movie is just like a parody of Indian cinema. That's what it is, right? Like it's so broad and it's so big that while I enjoyed it, I think that the kind of winking got to me after a little bit.
1: I mean, it, it didn't get to me just because the like any Indian movie, the tonally it's just so all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't stick to one thing. So. I love that, though. But yeah, but, but that's what I mean. Like the winking, like I, I was all for all the like movie references and stuff because, you know, after 10 minutes, it turns into something else. Yeah. But what do you think of Shah Rukh? Because uh, seeing that breakout movie whose name I already forget, the 1995 one. Uh, I felt like I understood him a little more be- because I could see that kind of young Tom Cruise quality in him. But I feel like these Indian stars carry a whole range of associations and they bring a lot of baggage over Yeah, that the we the, don't understand. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's fine. He's very charismatic and energetic. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you really want. None of the movies that I saw he had to do much heavy lifting. You did see him in last year's Blockbuster Fan,
1: where he played a dual role. Oh, that that movie was amazing. It was like Shah Rukh's King of Comedy, uh, where he played a Shah Rukh Khan like movie star and his biggest fan, where like they did some weird digital stuff to his face to de-age him, and it turns into this like utterly ridiculous cat and mouse <laughs> like stalking story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty crazy. I recommend that one. One uh, Shah Rukh movie that I also remember fondly that I think is really bad is uh, My Name is Han. Yes. Um, where he plays... That's his uh, Oscar. Yes. Um... <laughs> I believe it was India's official submission for the Best Foreign Film Oscar that year. And uh, he plays uh, an autistic... Indian Muslim man who is very upset. He goes
0: Tropic Thunder, right? Yeah, he, he, he,
1: <laughs> you know, you know what he's talking about. He's very upset about all the Islamophobia that has swept the world after 9/11, and kind of has a Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man performance that he gives, where he is determined to go meet the president and say, "Mr. President, I am. Uh, my name is Han. I am not a terrorist." And he keeps saying that over and over again, and. You know, imagine I Am Sam meets the blind side, meets all of those, like, bad Oscar contenders. Like, there's a scene where Shah Ruk saves a, a small uh, backwater black village from Hurricane Katrina. And there's a scene at the end of the movie where he meets Obama, and it's just played by some guy.
0: <laughs> Listen, Will, maybe you just don't get it.
1: Maybe I don't. <laughs> I... I watched it with great interest. I thought it
0: was very funny. <laughs> but for anybody listening this far into it, I do want to recommend some Indian cinema that would be a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Like we said, if you're like an expert and you've just been writing your email about how wrong we've been, which I'll freely admit we probably are, mm-hmm. um, this recommendation section is just for people that are like, what do I watch? Because that was the big stumbling block for me. But at the same time, like you'll, you'll sit on your couch and watch like four hours of some TV show <laughs> yeah. that will instantly disappear from your mind. Yeah. So just give, like, three hours to some Indian cinema. And at the same time, a lot of the movies on this list are only about two hours long. It feels like India's trying to, like, take a step back from the super lengthy stuff that they've been known for their entire existence. Good. But speaking of lengthy stuff... Other than Cholet, the one Indian film that people get recommended a lot is Lagan, which is the um, Amir Khan. As you'll know when you do a little bit of research, every star is named Khan for some reason Mm -hmm. and none of them are related to each other. And Lagan is about a cricket match between India and some British forces.
1: And the movie is three hours and 45 minutes. I believe it's one of the only Indian movies, maybe the only Indian movie to get a Best Foreign Language Film Oscar nomination. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's a fantastic movie. So if haven't uh, seen that you should check it out and you saw the biggest box office hit of india ever which was dangal last year
1: oh yeah i gotta say i really enjoyed it it starred amir khan as uh, a failed wrestler who uh, trains his daughter to become a wrestler and it's kind of an inspirational sports movie but of the indian movies i've seen it's the one that you could probably play just to a regular American multiplex audience and not have them laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, It really kind of hits all the right buttons. And actually, I understand it's uh, like a massive runaway hit in China right now.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Like, it's going to be on their top uh, box office of all time.
1: Yeah, and it's just like it's the kind of movie that I'm watching and I'm thinking you know normally I would turn my nose up at this sort of thing but it really does hit all the right buttons like it and, just works and
0: that's one of the big stumbling blocks when it comes to discovering Indian cinema is that there is no distribution in the US at all
1: I mean there's you know a network of theaters that plays these films
0: but if you don't know what you're looking for you're probably not going to find it. like no one's yeah. going to come and give it to you yeah like Dangal, if you didn't know it was coming out like you're screwed you, you have never heard of it
1: I kind of got into Indian cinema just through trial and error mm-hmm. like I saw one. Or 2 that I didn't think much of. And then I was fortunate enough to run into Doom 2. And because Doom 2 had all these stars in it, it was kind of like like a compass point for Indian cinema from that point on. Yeah.
0: Still on the Amir Khan train, They're three idiots, like we talked about, mm-hmm. which is a big box office success. And that's also like further away from something like Dangal because there is crazy musical numbers Mm -hmm. and then a hanging, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned. But it's still, like, really fun. You also have Amitabh Bakchan kind of stepped away from the big blockbuster stuff. He was in a film called Pink. He played a senile lawyer who ends up defending three women who are charging men from sexually assaulting them, Mm -hmm. which is a big no-no, and it will besmirch their name if they actually accuse these men. And it is a fantastic film. And then you have... Really crazy movies in Telugu. From the director of Bahubali, you have Iga, my favorite uh, Indian film probably ever, which is about a man who gets killed, reincarnated as a fly, and then takes revenge on the person who killed him. It is so much fun, and its concept is so ridiculous, but executed so perfectly that it's one that I can recommend without any compunction. Like, it's pure entertainment. And then you have a Tamil
1: movie. That me and Will saw. I actually recommended it to you and said, go see it in theaters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's S. Shankar's I. I'm sorry that people aren't gonna be able to see this one in theaters because it's such an overwhelming, like, sensory experience.
0: (laughs) It's like (laughs) it is so crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's I, the letter I. Yeah. People may have seen the trailer that went
0: viral for a movie called Robot that came out a Mm -hmm. few years ago. That was also directed by S. Shankar. Mm -hmm.
1: But I I feel is a much purer vision. (laughs) A few kind of kooky ones that I, that I've seen that I think uh, Western audiences might get a kick out of. There's a, from recent years uh, is uh, Shah Rukh Khan's superhero movie Ra One. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoyed this this really uh, strange movie called Comeback ishka starring uh, akshay kumar who's kind of the adam sandler of bollywood and what's funny about that one is it has three big name western stars in it as themselves uh, sylvester stallone denise richards and the forgotten superman brandon routh and there's this (laughs) as themselves right yeah as themselves and there's this whole subplot where akshay kumar marries denise richards (laughs) and everyone and this is like denise richards like like kind of seven or eight years after anyone had heard from her. And everyone always refers to her in the movie as Denise Richards. But what's the movie about, Will? I can't remember. (laughs) I just remember the, I just remember that funny, funny stuff.
0: At the same time, we've been talking about like the crazy movies. There's also kind of like real classy stuff like Gangs of Wasipur, which came out a few years ago, directed by Anurag Kashyap, which is like this epic four hour two part movie that's been compared to the works of Johnny Toe. That director has been continually making really good work that doesn't have the musical numbers you usually Mm -hmm. expect and play like tons of film festivals when they come out.
1: I think uh, before we go, I'd like to uh, read a little bit from a magazine that we got at the Albion Cinema called Bollywood Movies. Movies of the month. This is the first paragraph of an article called "Deepika Padukone to Endorse Goy Bibo Question mark. <laughs> and the the paragraph is: the extremely stunning yet adorable Deepika Padukone has always been instrumental in the success of many films. The number of hit films she has given in her career is definitely something to feel proud about. After conquering Bollywood, Deepika Padukone has already started her innings in Hollywood as well. And, you know, there's something about the prose of just that paragraph that I think is like, I've never read an article about Indian cinema that wasn't written in that style. Mm-hmm. I think it's too bad. Like, I would like to read some good writing on Indian cinema.
0: That's the thing is that it's tough to find like books about Indian cinema in a way that are accessible for people like you and me, aka white people that have no kind of knowledge of their culture. Yeah. I did read a solid book by Nathreen Mooney Kabir called Bollywood, the Indian Cinema Story, which was put out by Channel 4 four books. The author talks about in the prologue that she's actually done a lot of documentaries on Bollywood cinema. Her book is a great introduction to it even though it has something that has always been really difficult for me to grapple with which is names and the names of movies. Mm. Because the thing about Indian cinema is they're not going to translate it for me and you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you're going to get what it would sound like in its language. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have to remember that, or you're screwed. (laughs) I hope that people listening to this podcast had like, a pen and paper. I'm going to put it on the website as well, on the Film Trap website, if you want a list of these movies. But doing research, there was also a website called accessbollywood.net. And every few days, she makes updates about news, reviews... And most importantly, what Indian films are on Netflix? Mm. Because there's a lot. And we just don't know about them because we've never heard of them. So visit AccessBollywood.net. And I think that's one of the first links. And a lot of the movies we talked about on this podcast can be just watched there. None of the old stuff, only the new stuff. But hey, it's a good place to start. So, Justin, do we have any letters this week? We do have some letters. The first letter is from Mark Slutsky. And he goes, Gents, Greatly enjoyed your Ridley Scott episode as usual. I listened to it as I was stewing in my indignation. Reply: Alien Covenant, and I was glad to hear I wasn't the only one out there who felt the same way.
1: You're you're not the only one. (laughs) I've
0: noticed that since Alien Covenant has come out, there was a big wave right at the top of people being like, "No, this
1: is great. You're wrong." And people have come out of the wreckage going,
0: you know, maybe it's not as good as everybody says.
1: I saw it fell 70% of the box office this week, so clearly the word is getting out. My question to you both is, what do you think of Ridley's
0: late brother, Tony? They made such a strange pair. You could see a lot of stylistic crossover, and for a while, it almost seemed like they were parallel universe versions of the same director or something. Maybe it was just that they were brothers. But would you consider yourselves Tony Scott fans? Which Scott do you prefer? Are you... Vulgar tourists—a term that was popular for a while, but now seems kind of dated. Mark, uh, I'm not a fan of Tony Scott. I am a fan of Tony Scott. Well, there you go. But we actually
1: discussed—he's kind of doing... an action painter on celluloid, isn't he?
0: Uh, that's a reference to a Patreon episode.
1: <laughs> he's kind of a—he's kind of a Jackson Pollock of
0: cinema. <laughs> I think that Tony Scott can be really bad, but I also think that he can work on a base level of just exciting his audience. The last film that he made, Unstoppable, which the dumb train-on-the-loose premise, is actually really fun I when haven't, you sit down yeah, and watch I it. Yeah, I haven't
1: seen it, but I've heard good things about it. And I haven't liked any of his films that I've seen. The thing about Tony Scott is that he is always pushing his style. He hasn't kind
0: of just sat down to do his thing, kind of like his brother does a lot, mm. is that he is doing crazy shit, and whether it works or not is up to debate. Most I would,
1: of the time, it usually not. I would actually be interested in doing an episode on him at some point to give him a fairer shake. We talked about doing a Ridley-Tony episode, but we decided it was too much to tackle in one go.
0: Yeah. So maybe down the line, we'll definitely do a Tony Scott episode. And I'm sure Will's opinion will not change. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we have another letter that's not 100% related to the podcast, but it comes from a fan who has something to ask Will about from the real world. He goes, Dear Will Sloan. Can you please explain your fascination slash obsession with YouTube sensations, cool duder and wet movie? <laughs> Thanks Roy.
1: Okay. Oh, let's open up the inside Will Sloan podcast. Um, so I am obsessed with, uh, these guys, cool duder and, and wet movie one. They're in their thirties, but they kind of act like they're 18. Um, and, uh, they, film themselves going to Best Buy and collecting DVDs uh, and they also film themselves like doing other stuff but that's the main part of their brand and they don't seem to have like they they like all movies and their level of analysis never seems to extend beyond. Yeah, this movie's pretty good. I liked it. Um, and and you like to make fun of them. Yeah, and what, what, <laughs> and uh, what I kind of find interesting about them is like they are consumption as identity, mm. like performative consumption <laughs> as identity. And it's also fast- do you feel they could consume without performing? Would it have meaning for them? No, it wouldn't. That's another thing that's fascinating about them. It's like they film everything they do, and they're always playing to the camera. And you you like, and you're always like looking at them and wondering like what would they be like if the camera's off. But the thing is, by watching that, you give them life. And if you didn't watch, they would be dead. I don't want them to be dead. I think they're I mean I metaphorically.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, also, the other thing that's interesting about them is if you're watching them for a really long time, you see the interpersonal dynamics between them evolve. <laughs> Wet Movie One and Cool Dirter Now are the, their relationship seems to have cooled they, the, and and certain alliances are forming in the universe because there are also other people in this universe. There are other YouTubers who are their friends. I and...
0: love how you make fun of me
1: wanting to watch Marvel
0: movies. And you're like, listen, let me explain cool duder and web movie one. In this one,
1: they meet a uh, brony fan 52. I could talk for an hour about this, but I won't. Could you? The, yeah, seriously. So, so this is just like the tip of the iceberg of why I find them interesting. <laughs> Do you like YouTube poops? No, not really. So you're
0: more about the personality?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm more mean-spirited.
0: <laughs> Part of the Will Sloan brand. We should
1: get Cool Duder on the podcast as a guest. <laughs> no!
0: <laughs> what, if you, what if they learn of your existence, though? Are you afraid of that? Do they know who you are? Have you messaged them?
1: Uh, I... I tweeted about Cool Dooder once and I think he faved and responded to it. And okay. I didn't respond back because I was too scared. <laughs> cool Dooder uh, and Wet Movie both appear in a lot of kind of like like really low budget horror movies too. They've kind of parlayed their YouTube success huh. into like kind of an acting career. Wow. And they're both they're interesting guys. I recommend everyone check them out. <laughs> they're they're a lot more successful than we are. <laughs> they get a lot more views. <laughs> All right. What are we doing next week, Will? Uh, We're taking it a little bit easy.
0: So we're going to be doing two directors, which we haven't done in a long time. That is Fred Olin Ray and Jim Wiernorski, the director of Hollywood Chainsaw Hooker and the director of Chopping Mall. Mm -hmm. Now, why are we doing these filmmakers? Because I find them intensely fascinating as people who make movies because they love making movies. Now, whether you find any value in those films... We'll discuss about that next week. Mm. But I have never stopped being interested in hearing them talk about their process. Mm.
1: I've seen some of their films. They were not good.
0: <laughs> but- we watched one of the Fred and Ray's films together one of the first times we hung out. Which one was it? Uh, was it uh, It was She Alien
1: or... I have it was the one where no the woman has the
0: big bug head.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, e- evil spawn. That's right, evil spawn. <laughs> oh yeah, that was really fucking bad. That had John Carradine in it for twenty seconds, and then he died. <laughs> and next week we're gonna dive into both their careers. All right, but until the- <laughs> I love. I, I actually, th- I'm actually looking forward to this one. I think it could be fun. Yes, yeah, I, I, I haven't really explored their. They're like classic work. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm also in favor of both of them as public figures. Mm -hmm. I think they're both funny guys. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. So until then, you can email us at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com uh rate and review us on iTunes. We haven't said yeah, this in like on. 15 episodes and it's it kind of stagnated i think about 20 ratings yeah and that's pretty much it so
1: go on there and do it and hey we have a patreon episode this week uh revisiting jean-luc godard he was one of our early episodes and we're returning to the topic with a fresh new insight and the wisdom of age
0: <laughs> and that's just five dollars a month do it people mm-hmm. please yeah please <laughs> my name is justin the clue i'm will sloan thanks for listening It's weird that Indian cinema has had almost no crossover with North America. I think that's principally because it is so different than the stuff that we usually watch.
1: I think it's it's a combination of the fact that it's yeah, it's a different film language and also Americans are racist. <laughs> I, and, and I actually genuinely really? I actually genuinely believe that. Like I think, you know, that it comes to a certain extent with the lack of imagination to try Indian cinema and like the distribution is such that it won't be presented to them, but I also think Americans like Americans get black people they understand what that is, but they don't get brown people. Yeah. I think that's what they... I, I genuinely think that's true. Wow.
0: Yeah. You're dropping the hammer there. I mean, it's not that people haven't tried. There was a movie that came out a few years ago, Kites, mm-hmm. that was recut and remixed by I think the only man who has the <laughs> skills to do so,
1: Brett Ratner. Yeah, I saw the original version of Kites. I they
0: were both released yeah. at the same time. yeah. The yeah. English version, which... I'm not sure what they cut out because the movie's only two hours long
1: and it doesn't even have any musical numbers in it. Probably just cut out like some of the more like earnest Bollywood stuff. The romantic stuff, like the build up to that kind, add more of that action in there. Like that's the kind of guy Brett Ratner is. He's like that with Hong Kong cinema too, where it's like, man, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I think I know how to present it to American audiences and then just take out anything good about
0: it. Oh, you love Rush Hour. I don't love Rush
1: Hour. Did you love it when it came out? Oh, sure. But it's like, it's not great or anything. It's like a stupid thing that's fun. Were you
0: ever a Brett Ratner fan? No. As a, as a teenager, you're like, I like this Brett Ratner guy and what he's doing. Uh, no.
1: <laughs> I, <was so laughs> I think as a producer, he's got pretty good credits. He's produced mm. a lot of uh, good stuff.
0: Yeah. He kind of stepped away from the directing game for a while, right? Because yeah. after Hercules tank like it did. I don't
1: have a hate for Brett Ratner like a lot of people do, but he is what he is. Hey, uh, you've been following the Cannes Film Festival this week? Wait, is Brett Ratner on the jury? Uh, I believe he won the Palme d'Or for Tower Heist this year they finally uh, whoa retroactively yeah they were like we, we made Roman it Roman Polanski
0: was like this is my speed I mean he's not on the jury the jury is a crazy collection of oddballs like it always is every year
1: yeah including uh, Hitch himself Mr. William Smith
0: <laughs> we were talking about earlier that um, the internet was up in an uproar the fact that Will Smith went I gotta watch four movies
1: in a day yeah I, I haven't done that as I was a kid. Yeah, because Will Smith is too busy fucking and making <laughs> movies, probably. Um, but uh, one thing, I, so I was like following, uh, you know, just scanning Twitter today and I, my Twitter was full of like people, you know, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking uh, the... the awards and and why well it happens every year like you know two years ago when people are like oh i can't believe d-pan won and it's like motherfucker you're living you're in canada <laughs> you haven't seen it yeah like
0: <laughs> and the thing about the can jury is that it's literally a jury of yeah. i don't remember how many people it is it's like
1: probably eight or nine people and that, they just pick a bunch of movies that's yeah. all it is like the, the the list is a compromise from eight or nine people of totally different taste and. You know, you look at the, the list of winners and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, nobody yeah. goes back in,
0: oh, wow. You know, when that film won the Palme d'Or, that really knocked it up into the stratosphere. Oh, well, I
1: think the one example when it did was probably Uncle Boon Me. I mean, the, that winning the Palme d'Or kind of... Uh, rocketed a pitch pong into... yeah now he's a household name it's not a household name <laughs> but like it, it definitely took him to the next level as mm. kind of an international art house yeah. brand i i, I kind
0: of feel that he did go a little bit too mainstream with cemetery of splendor but yeah, yeah. i'm hoping he gets back to his art house glory yeah but are you jealous of not being there to be on the quasette and to
1: enjoy the sun the stars and the glamour uh i feel like we've had this conversation before <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it would probably be fun to go if somebody else was paying for the hotel and the plane to, like, watch Twin Peaks. Or, <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, or... like, like people yeah. were clamoring, because I got uh, someone who has their boots on the gr-
1: ground a con. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, he got to see it sitting behind David Lynch, which is kind of cool.
0: I guess, but, but at the same time, everybody wanted a ticket to this event. It played a week <laughs> before, and everybody saw it. We've talked about it on this sh- uh, podcast that, I've, there is no um, currency, in my opinion, of people that have seen a movie before other people. Yeah,
1: and also, you know, the problem is the only people who go and review movies at con now are people who can afford to pay their way there, and that means... You have to be the sort of person who can afford to pay your way there, but you're not going to spend that money doing a good vacation, like going to fucking Amsterdam or Paris or something fun, fun and cool like that. You're going to a film festival to watch like movies on DCP that are opening a month from now.
0: Listen, when they got to see Money Monster. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Con is not
0: a, like a festival for audiences, really.
1: No, it's for the industry. I mean... Uh the reason to go, I think, unless you're being paid to go, is because you're in the industry and you need to go there to finance your movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: that's pretty much the only reason. Or you're looking for movies because you are a yeah. distributor.
1: Otherwise, go on a beach vacation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're, you're not going to go to Con unless somebody pays for it? If somebody pays for it, I'll go in a heartbeat.
1: But aren't you going to be excited for all those articles that are going to come out and that are going to be like, con. It wasn't like it used to be? Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I look at some of the movies... I mean, is there really any current, in in my lifetime, I feel like I'm always reading these press people trying to make these screenings into world historic events, like when Antichrist played a few years ago, and everyone was like, oh, this is a historic screening, and now here we are eight or nine years later, and nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you were there for the premiere of Apocalypse Now or something, or if you were there when Godard and Truffaut were holding the curtain down in 1968, maybe that was cool. But nobody cares if you saw, you know, Antichrist. Like what
0: has been some of the historic events? I guess on the Lars von Trier train still, he got... If you yeah,
1: if you were there at the Hitler press conference, or if you were there to watch the guy ask uh, Tom Hardy if he was outgunned by estrogen, <laughs> remember, <laughs> wasn't remember? that a Toronto I, film critic? I, I, I believe it was. Yes,
0: but at the same time, I, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like someone tells me that they're like, hey. I was there when that happened. I'll be like, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. It's it's probably fun to go to France, though.
0: Yeah, I've never been. I mean, you have, because
1: you're a world traveler. I, and yeah. Immensely wealthy. <laughs> yeah. I have been to Paris, and it was great. I recommend it. <laughs> did you do the Louvre in, like, I, 10 I, minutes? I probably did it in two hours. <laughs> okay.
0: Not as impressive. Yeah.